A few months ago, I did something really dumb. Imagine that. I think it's dangerous to be in your 50s because you want to prove that you're still young. I was in the airport in Charlotte between flights. There was an escalator that was broken and under repair. So you had to decide, were you going to climb this huge long staircase or take the elevator? I'm really so young, of course I was going to take the staircase. That would have been okay. But as I was beginning to ponder it, I saw this 20-year-old, very fit young woman. She was holding her suitcase in her arms like this, and she was jogging up the stairs, because that's what you do when you're in your 20s. So I think, I can do that. <laughs> so I put my suitcase in my arms, and I start jogging up the stairs, and it's a long staircase, and I'm getting out of breath, but I'm doing it, and I'm actually keeping time with her, and I'm feeling good about myself. It's good. <laughs> Look at me. I'm keeping time with this fit 20-year-old. We get to the top of the stairs, and she just kind of clicks on her rollerboard and starts moving fast. So I do the same, and I'm walking fast, and then all of a sudden, my legs get all tangled up, and I fall. She turns around and says, are you okay? And I say, yes, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm really quite young, actually. No, I didn't say that. But I fell on my knees, and I got a big bump on my knee, which meant that my back was kind of out of whack, and then I threw out my back, and blah, blah, blah. All of this because I was dumb. Why do we do stupid stuff? If someone had asked me, sitting down when I was thinking rationally, if it would be wise to race a 20-year-old up a big flight of stairs, I would have said no. But in the moment, I just wanted to prove I was young. St. Paul puts it so well, how stupid and impulsive we can be. He says, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I do. I need a savior. Because there's always a part of me that's at war with myself. And I just can't seem to live life in the perfect way that I want to. And that's it, isn't it? We try. You all are here on a Sunday morning in the middle of the summer in the heat, and you're trying. That is awesome. We try to be good, but we don't always hit the mark. And one of the secrets of the Christian faith is the secret that in trying to fix ourselves all the time, in trying to be perfect, we actually can get driven away from God. That there is a danger in trying to be perfect.
I've mentioned in sermons before C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. They're some of my favorite books. In the second one, this guy is on the planet Venus, and it's basically like a role model for Eden. There's the Satan prototype, there's the Eve prototype, there's the Adam prototype. And guess what the Satan prototype does to try to get Eve to fall from innocence? Satan gives her a mirror. And Satan says to Eve, look at yourself, aren't you beautiful? But wait, isn't there a blemish over here? Why don't you look at yourself more and try to fix yourself up and be perfect? But wait, no, your hair is out of place. And he tries to get her to begin to fixate on herself. Because in doing so, she would be turned from adoring God to being obsessed with herself. It's a brilliant tactic designed to lure in the good like you and me. I'm convinced that instead of having a mirror in our bathrooms, we should have an icon. Wouldn't it be amazing if instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror, we looked at an icon and spent all that time gazing on God instead of our own blemishes? Jesus says that if we want to find God, we actually have to find a state of innocence. We have to be like little children. That it is to the little child that God can reveal the divine self. Ironically, he doesn't say it's the perfectly behaved person. It's the one that does everything right. No, he says God comes most fully to the little child. You know, little guys, if they're safe, if they have enough to eat, if they know they're loved, there is a period of childhood in which they exist in a world that is full of miracles. I remember at Christmas time, we were giving tours of the cathedral. A little girl, she was probably three, maybe four, came in wearing a tutu and spinning. I said, do you like this place? And she said, this is my castle. And I said, yes, it is. Many years ago, I, I worked in Russian orphanages I would translate between the orphans and their parents from America who were adopting them. I would teach them simple phrases at first like, I love you, or I need to go to the bathroom, <laughs> the important ones, you know. After they got to know each other, the parents would take the children home, and then in many cases I would visit the, the new family in America and see how they were acclimating. There were these two girls, age five, who were adopted, Anya and Katya. 
They were adopted by an older couple from Maine who had already raised four children and decided they could take on two more. One of the signs that a child was thriving was that the child would play, would have an imaginary game, be able to play with dolls or stuffed animals, make up stories. In the orphanage, none of the children did that. But I found that some of them, when they felt safe in their new families, would begin to play. Sure enough, when I visited Katya and Anya, Katya was playing. She loved dolls, and she was making all kinds of elaborate stories with the dolls and seemed happy. But Anya was not. Anya was crying. She was holding on to her mom's leg. So I talked to her in Russian to find out why was she scared, what was going on. It turns out that her American father had tried to describe to her a day camp where he thought she would have fun, where they painted and played games, and he wondered if she'd want to go to the day camp during the day. But Anya didn't understand what he was saying, and she thought that he was going to send her away. And so she was scared, and she clung to her mother, and she didn't play imaginary games, and there were no miracles in her world. I explained to her what, what her dad was really saying, and she immediately brightened up and skipped away. Such resiliency. But they needed to feel safe in order for that state of innocence to be allowed to flourish. Artists, brilliant mathematicians, scientists, people who are creative or who are original in their fields will often say that in order to be truly inspired, they need to find a place of safety where they can open their minds and hearts to the unfathomable. What do you need to do to return to that state of being a child? Do you remember it? Was there ever a time when you felt safe and loved, when you dreamed, when you believed in angels and miracles? Was there a time and can you remember it? Can you go back there? What would it take for you to be able to go back there to know that no matter whether you fall down or not, no matter whether you succeed in your career, whether you make all the right choices or not, that God will still be there to pick you up. Is there a way that you can return to that state of trust? Because in that state of childhood innocence, that's where we can fully experience God's peace that passes all understanding. That's where we can be truly inspired, wise, 
beyond our imagining. I believe that most of us eventually are going to get sick of running up the stairs. We're going to get sick of trying to be perfect, to do our jobs perfectly or be the perfect parent or son or daughter or whatever it is that you want, that you keep striving after to look good or be physically fit or make more money or whatever it is. Eventually, you will be tired of running up those stairs. And it's at that point that Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are worn out and weary. I will give you rest. I've been waiting for you to wear yourselves out, maybe fall down, and remember that I'm your Savior, and you don't have to earn your way to me. Find a way to become your child again, and I will find you. Amen.